0: Welcome back to Dr. Me First. It's me, your colleague in medicine and coach in life, Dr. freaking Aaron Wiseman. And today I am bringing you my latest masterclass. We were talking about workaholics and work addiction because, you know, I've been all over this work is my drug title. And so I wanted to bring the recording to you if you weren't able to make it and encourage you to come to a live recording or a live masterclass. They happen the last Sunday of the month. It's typically I'll pick a topic. We have some discussion, some free coaching. It's a fun time had by all. What can I say? If you want to get involved with that, head over to my website, burntouttobadass.com, and we'll have the link in the show notes so you can start getting the emails on when these are happening, what topics are going on, and how you can join us. So with that said, listen to today's episode all about workaholics, work addiction, and what you can do with it. And personally, I talk a little bit about what I've done with it. I think it's a really great conversation. I appreciate the women who came October 31st. We had a great Halloween together. But before I hop into it, I need to tell you about a really great event. So the episode Before this, 332 is with Dr. Brent Lacey. If you haven't listened to it, it's really a great episode. You know, I don't always look XY chromosomes on the podcast, but he is definitely worth the listen. Well, in addition to that, he has got a great conference coming up, and I want to tell you all about it. No relationship is more important than your marriage, yet it is so easy to let it take second place to the distractions and all your time constraints. You need a date night that's worth your time, but who has the time or the money, right? Well, Brent is excited to invite you to join him next week, November 15th through 17th, to his conference called Money and Marriage, Marriage and Money MD Summit. You'll hear 21 amazing speakers, Physicians, dentists, and their spouses talk about how to build a marriage that will withstand the pressures of a professional career, as well as how to build a better path to success with personal finance. The summit is totally free to attend, which is amazing considering how much value there's going to be, and you can get 20 hours of CME by attending. So no worries if you can't catch it live. There are free replays for the whole week, and you may think you're too busy, and maybe you are. But remember, it's important to make time to invest in your marriage and your future. So there'll be a link in the show notes. Sign up today and tell them Aaron sent you. Hey, everybody out there in cyberspace. This is the October Masterclass. We're talking about being workaholics. Dun, dun, dun. I think probably everybody on the call can relate to that. I recently finished up a series called Work Is My Drug on the Dr. Me First podcast. And that's where, man, I have dove like head deep once I gained some awareness like holy shit maybe it's not just burnout maybe there's a component of addiction that goes along with this so I'm family medicine I actually do some work with addiction medicine in my clinical practice as well and so it's been really interesting to like see the parallels as I'm taking care of my heroin addicted meth patients and then I'm talking to my doctors on the other side and I'm just like hmm right, we got some parallels. So we're going to talk about it today. Talk about being a workaholic, how to confront it. And then of course, the most important thing is like, how do you get out of this cycle? How do you turn the leaf over? How do you change it? And so we'll record for about 10 minutes. For those who aren't here live with us today, hopefully this recording is super helpful, but also just so you know, we also do a lot of chatting in the masterclass. So try to make it live with us. It's a lot more fun. So how do we spot... Being a workaholic. Well, what I first want to say is this is not a nuanced thing. It's super complicated. It's multifactorial. And also culturally, I think being a workaholic is elevated in our society. Like the harder you work, like more carrots for you. You know, good job. You hit your RVU goals. Now let's raise them a little bit and do good next month type of thing. So here's my definition as I have, like I said, jumped into this head first and really started talking about it more. It's actually the DSM-5 criteria for addiction. I'm just using it as work because I think work is our drug. And so it's compulsive behavior that's continued despite harmful consequences. The person is impaired physiologically, psychologically, and socially, and it's characterized by increasing tolerance, working more, and signs of withdrawal. Who here has ever gone on vacation and like got the jitters because you're not working? Oh, I have. Or like, yeah. feel like you're gonna throw up, actual like nausea feeling because you're like, oh my god, what's happening at the office right now? heart uh-huh. messages off will hook. You know that sort of thing. I think that we really don't have physical symptoms of withdrawal. We obviously can have increased tolerance when it comes to work because we just keep piling on more and more. It says my internet sucks i'm gonna apologize guys hashtag country internet so i really do think that workaholicism does fit the definition for addiction as well when we look at it that criteria and so how do we confront it how do we get past this once we raise our hand and say yeah i think i think i definitely fit the definition for being a workaholic is that recognition piece and so three things how i break it down If someone's like I'm not sure if I'm burnt out. I'm not sure if I'm a workaholic. I don't know. I'm just a little stressed or overwhelmed. Here's my, my three indicators I want you to use. So the first one is external indicators. So think about this. External indicators I lean towards is you got a full calendar, you're triple booked, you're always running late, and no matter how hard you work, the to-do list is never done all the way through or as well as you would like internal indicators. You're exhausted, you're irritable, you're resentful, you're angry. And even though you don't want to work, even though you don't want to be where you're at, you feel stuck because what else can you do? And then the last indicator is external feedback. So this is when friends and family and colleagues, they see you and they sense What's going on with you? And they may even tell you, hey, like you're overwhelmed. I, I know my husband specifically told me when I was like at the bottom of the barrel of my burnout, he was like, Aaron, no job is worth your health. No job is worth crying Sunday nights before you go to the office on Monday. And I know that I've, as I've talked to other female physicians and medical professionals, they say the same thing. They'll say, you know, my husband has said this, my mom, my best friend, my girlfriends. And I'm like, yeah, you got to take that into account. So I think that's how you can recognize it. Those external indicators, those internal indicators inside, and then that external feedback from the people who love you most. And sometimes it even comes from a colleague. I was talking with a gal recently, and she was saying, It was one of her, it was, she's a nurse, and it was one of her nursing colleagues that said, you're just not the same as you used to be. And that really hit her hard, because one of her core values was like empathy towards her patients, and she had none at all anymore. And her nursing colleague was seeing that in her. So here's the question then, I think the proverbial question, which is, why do we work so much, even though we know it's harmful to us? Anybody got some thoughts?
1: It's easier than being in your own head, for sure.
0: <laughs> mhm.
2: Medicine prefers workaholics. Medicine loves perfectionists. You can look really good if you work yourself to death in medicine because nursing and medicine don't train their workers to take care of themselves.
0: It's like a badge of honor. You know, it's like a merit badge to be like, look how much I'm suffering. <laughs> if you're working, if you're doing, then you never have to actually be quiet and sit with yourself and deal with some of the shit that's rolling around in your head. Totally true. I Just handle- like an alcoholic.
1: Sorry. I no, enjoy you're good. going to work and I, I, because I see the results of my patients that I take care of
2: and I take great pride in what I do and And I feel it. I feel it in the family. The results. I see it. You know. So that's probably the
1: biggest thing for me.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's good. I mean, I think we should take pride in our work. However, when it becomes like a rush or like a kick, you know what I mean. When you're so, I used to work in the emergency room, and I could see this in a lot of people. Like that, it was that, like, oh, I fixed that person, or oh, we intubated that one, or gunshot, like those kicks of adrenaline that like hit our ego to be like, I'm a bad fucking deal, you know, like you built yourself up by what you're doing. And again, that can be a good thing until it's at a pathological level. And then you're determining your worth by what you do, how many people you save, instead of just knowing intrinsically that like, I am a valuable person, whether I take care of another person, the rest of my life. And I think that's a hard thing to get to because, again, we're trained to, like, we are the savers. We are the healers. We are the last line of defense when we're taking care of people. But there's something a little bit pathologic about that. And I think we see this a lot of times when it's coming to, like, team-based care and all of the kind of the nastiness that happens. Like, no, only I can take care of these patients a certain way. When having trouble like handing off to other people so that you can, one, go on vacation, take a sick day, be with your grandmother when she's dying. Like these are all examples where people told me I can't do that because I have to be there for the patients. And it's like, whoa, 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 life is happening to you and you're choosing work over some of these other things. So, yes, I'm with you 100%. I think we should take pride and stuff on our work. But I think it's one thing to sit back and say, at what level is it a therapeutic level? And when does it get toxic? And I think only we
1: ourselves can determine that. Makes sense. I I find a challenge when your group thinks one way and you sort of think the other. (laughs) I mean, like, so, you know, our group got together. We haven't gotten together forever. And we have a new, a new person, and the new person was saying how they just got the Athena app on their phone so they could check labs, so they could send, you know, albuterol emergently. I'm like, it doesn't have to be sent emergently. <laughs>
0: like, oh, no, if you need it emergently, get your ass to the emergency room, kind of thing. Right.
1: Yeah. And, and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm so glad you got that going. And, and, and like, and somebody even said, They don't go anywhere when they're on call because they want to be able to answer the phone. You know, they they won't go out to eat. They just don't, you know, they don't do any family functions when they're on call. I'm just like, you know, the day that happens to me, I mean, I'm like, am I that disconnected from my group that I don't want to do that? I don't know. Well, I
0: think what you're feeling is like a misalignment of expectations and not judging either side. It just isn't
1: matching up. And so you feel that yeah. it's it's the glorifying, though, the work, you know, like, look what I do. Like, I don't even go out when I'm on call. <laughs> like, they really value that.
0: Yeah. Let me lash myself a few more times type of situation. Because when do you turn it off then? I know for me, when I got really bad, like I was sleeping with the phone literally next to my head, like I would stick it under my pillow so I could hear it ring and vibrate. Because I was so tired, there would be times I wouldn't hear it from my bedside table. So I had to literally put it under my pillow so that it would shake. And if I didn't wake up, then at least my husband would, like, shove me a few times to wake up. That's pathologic, I think, anyway. At least I know that's for me. It is. So my next question thought is, because what it came down for me in confronting my burnout and workaholicism was fear. I realized a lot of it was an underlying fear. So the question is, what are you afraid of to stop or change in your work? What about it? Erin,
2: one of the things that my group discovered when we had a facilitator and all the partners got together, there were some millennials, some Gen Z, and some baby boomers, The millennials didn't want to work as much as the baby boomers. They wanted to have work-life balance. And the baby boomers were all sitting there going, I am my work. I have to work. That's what I do. That's my identity. And it was so clear that we had been brought up in a culture that thinks that. And that millennials had finally, to some degree, bucked that and are trying to make work life balance really happen. Like they don't want to take call more than once or twice a week. I'm going, wow, that's a gift, once or twice a week. They, you know, they they really want time off to be with their family. I don't remember ever having a discussion about those things when I was in my 30s.
0: Do you think from your experience it was because if you had even like brought up that thought, you would have been like ostracized and shamed. Yes.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, because you're already feeling bad for maternity leave, and you're already yeah. having. To oh make my up god, all the take four. Oh weeks. my god, I had a baby. Sorry, and I made up all the call that I had that I missed. And what do you mean you want to stay home more than six weeks? That's outrageous. Oh, no, you're. It's uh, we were quiet. I'm glad women nowadays are talking about it, mm-hmm. because we're so mean to working women the way we expect them to go right back to work after having a baby. And if they have a sick child, they're not allowed to stay at home or take a sick day because their kid is sick.
0: Or God forbid, if you think about working part time. I mean, can you even be a real professional if you work part time? <laughs> yes, but I think it's it's the fear of almost being outed. Like, you're not good enough. Like, if you can't keep up with us, you're not good enough. At least that's a lot of what my fear was. Another fear for me is if I stop or I change the way I would work, I mean, I literally felt like the world would probably fall apart. I know it's totally like not rational. But I did. I felt like if I didn't do what I thought I had to do in my head, doing all the shoulds, all the musts, all the have-tos, then this house of cards would fall. But what I found is for me, the house of cards needed to fall so that I could build it up better. So my last point, and then we'll get off the recording, is so how do we stop? How do we change? How do we get off the workaholic train and into a life and work that we really love and that's sustainable and not life sucking. Any
1: thoughts on that? I think that's why we're here. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You're like Aaron, give me the give us the answers. Give us the answers. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and I'll just have to say like this is a continual journey for me. Having just jumped back into clinical medicine a couple of months ago, I felt myself slipping back into like the workaholic cycle and be perfectly transparent. So I've not perfected this. I think it's going to be a lifelong journey that I keep doing this. But what I remind myself is just taking the next best step. I don't have to have the whole next five years or 10 years planned out, but just doing what I need to do for today to keep me in the center of what i want so here and like i said so i'm not your guru i don't have all the things figured out what i can tell you is what's worked for me what's worked for the coaching clients that i've worked with what's evidence-based right now when it comes to physician and healthcare professional well-being what we know is working when it comes to work-life balance and i think of work-life balance as a pendulum on my grandma's old clock that she used to have it's never really static just like find it and like bang it into the wall and it's there it's like that pendulum but it's always coming back to the center Like it may swing far, but it always comes back to that center. And so that's what I remind myself when I'm swinging way off to the left is like, okay, it's going to come back. I can bring it back. So how do we stop? How do we change? How do we recover really is what we're talking about when we're talking about an addiction. How do we recover from a way that we've wired our brain up, how we've let work be our drug, get our dopamine kicks from the profession that we do? How do we change that? And so think about it in the sense of like drugs and alcohol. What's the first thing that we do for those people to help them enter into recovery? Come on. I know you guys know this. We're drinking? Yeah. (laughs) Like you acutely withdraw. And you do it in the space of support. And, you know, sometimes they have to go inpatient if they're an alcoholic and they, you know, they need CWA's. Sometimes they do it at home, but like you literally have to stop. You have to take the pause. And it's so difficult when work is your drug because like then you're tied up in all the financial stuff and then you're tied up in all the professional identity stuff. And then you're tied up in the like, oh, my God, what do I do with my time? If I'm not working, then I have to deal with this in my brain. (laughs) But that's where you have to start. And people ask me all the time, like, well, what's the right, air quotes, what's the right amount? And I'm like, well, what do you think the right amount is? I've had some people who have taken a couple weeks. I've had some people who've taken a whole month. I've had some people who've taken six months, a year. I personally had to on and off try again, over and over again, over multiple times to just stop and realign. And so during that time, it's just not like stopping and then laying in bed and watching Netflix, eating popcorn all day. It's literally taking a pause and thinking about what do I want my life to actually be? What do I want this big, beautiful life to feel like every single day? And how far away am I really from that? And so evaluating what's the most important things in my life? And are they really showing up on my calendar? Because most of the time it's not. Most of the time it's shoved with work or we're running kids to different places or we're on committees or boards and stuff that we think makes us look good but we really hate doing every other week. And so really getting really clear on this is my life, life is happening now, so how do I wanna exist in it? How do I wanna be? And I think during that pause time, just like when we have somebody who's a heavy alcoholic who wants to stop, you know how successful they are when they just like go out into the woods and they just stop on their own? Typically not. So these are the times when you're gathering support. Hopefully you've talked to your closest friends and family and say, hey, this is what's going on. Hopefully you're getting professional support with a coach, with a therapist. You know, if you're spiritual with your spiritual leader, maybe you're sitting down and getting your finances straight and talking to your financial expert who takes care of your money and your accounts to say, okay, I need to take a break if we lived on like rice and beans, bare minimum, how long could we make it? Because honestly, I bet with everyone sitting here on this call, you can make it longer than what your brain is shouting out to you right now. Like, you know, it's like, I can't take a break because what if I don't have a paycheck? And that's when I do an exercise with everybody and I'm like, all right, we call it the bare bones exercise. If you went bare bones, how much money do you have in savings? God forbid you wouldn't want to t- touch any of your accounts, but if you had to, how much do you have there to just keep the lights on, keep everybody fed and let you, let yourself get recovered and healthy enough to come back better. So it's an exercise to think about. So that's the first thing I tell people is you have to take a pause. You have to actually acutely stop so you can clear your head and start making better decisions because there's nothing worse than talking to somebody who's addicted to narcotics who's high in my office trying to make medical decisions. and I'm just like, no, like your brain's so fucked up right now. You're not even gonna remember this conversation. And I think that happens to us at work. We're so like keyed up is when work is our drug that we don't remember. You know, text messages fly by during the day that we can't remember if we looked at them or if we even answered when the babysitter texts me. And so clearing your head, getting free of whatever drug it is that's in your system and then really looking step two is then realigning you know like i said what is your big beautiful life how do you want to live it how do you want to feel in it and then finding that realigning point to like okay this is where i'm at this is where i want to go and there's about a thousand different hows on how to get to point a to point b And giving yourself the permission to be super creative and super open to all the different ways. It doesn't have to look like anybody else's. And there are some ways that anyone can transition from what they are in to what they want. And I think that's where it's really important. One, to have community around you, to actually have examples of people who have done this successfully. And two, having a coach to help you walk through this. Because it can be really scary in the gap when you're trying to figure all of that out because you're going to have your brain screaming at you naysaying you're going to have probably people around you are like what the hell are you thinking right and so it's good to have somebody on your side and then the last way to stay in recovery just like anything else is ongoing support not relapsing back into those situations you know like we tell i tell my addicted patients like you're gonna lose friends You're going to lose family members. But in order for you to have a recovered life, that's going to have to happen. Same for us. So you have to make those changes. And sometimes it's an actual physical change, leaving a job, finding a new position, going to a new state or city. Sometimes it's not. It's different for every person. But realizing that it's harder to stay clean in a toxic environment than it is to stay clean in a supportive environment when it comes to our work. And I just want to remind everybody, we're all recovering from something. I tell my patients that all the time. No, I don't have experience shooting up heroin. No, I've not ever had a drinking problem. But we all are recovering from something. All right, we're going to turn the recording off and start chitty chatting some more. Thanks, everybody who wasn't here with us. I hope this was helpful. Email me with any questions, comments, concerns. you aspiring podcasters out there listen up if you have always wanted to start a podcast but you haven't gotten around to it yet this is your sign i have made a podcasting 101 and podcasting 202 presentation that i want to help you for a limited time only this fall you can pick up both of those in a bundle check the show notes for the link in Podcasting 101, you get everything you need to get your podcast off the ground with fun and ease. And in Podcasting 202, you learn how to scale and monetize so that you can grow your podcast reach and even make some dollars. When I started podcasting in 2018 here on Dr. Me First, I had no idea what I was getting myself into or how much I would love doing this podcast. So having a course like this to show me a way would have saved me so much pain and hassle from everything that I went through. And I shared that with you so you can get started on the right path. Plus, you get to see the Aaron Wiseman way of things. Let me show you the coupon mom easy way to podcast. This won't be around forever, so go check it out and get your podcast out there. Then make sure to email me and let me know when it's launched. I want to listen to you too. But you gotta go check out Podcasting 101 and Podcasting 202 to get you started. Wake, wake up, call. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Learn, the sun is creeping. Wake, wake up, call. Thanks for joining me today and this replay of my masterclass. I would love to see you live in our next one. So click in the show notes on the link so that you can get signed up for the emails coming up for more upcoming masterclasses. We're gonna talk about work addiction recovery. We're gonna talk about celebrating moving forward. In January, I'm gonna tell you don't do a vision board and what to do instead. Lots of great things. So go ahead and get signed up. It's totally free, which is one of my favorite F words. And I promise it is worth the hour on your Sunday to come hang with me. If you can't make it live to the masterclass, go ahead and sign up anyway, because we always try to send the replays out within the next week. And also, you can hop into the Slack group. It's a great place where we're gathering as well, because I truly believe that it's connection that moves you from where you are to where you want to go. So remember, friends, your life, your calling, your pulse matters.